Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, so as Austin mentioned, my name is John Hummel. I'm the executive pastor here at Good Shepherd. And when we were first talking about doing uh, Exodus, a series on Exodus, I was like dibs on the plagues of Egypt because I think this is an awesome, awesome part of Scripture. And so I'm super, super excited to, to dig in today. Uh, did anyone else think that it's odd that we just had the last series we had was called Here to Stay? And then we went right into Exodus. That doesn't seem to jive well, but it's what happened. We'll try to plan better in the future. But uh, I have a lot of stuff to cover this morning. Uh, it's about four total chapters. The last time I preached, it was four verses. This time it's four chapters. I don't know if that's good news for me or bad news for you, but it's what we're doing. And uh, so I'm really, really excited. So we're going to start things off in chapter 7 of Exodus, uh, verses 6 through 13. And this is kind of the prelude um, to the plagues. What happens at this point is Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and they say, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who are you? What are you doing here? I need a sign. And so what happens is Aaron takes his staff, throws it on the ground, and it becomes a serpent. But at this point, Pharaoh's magicians say, well, we can do that too. Uh, they're named later on, uh, Paul is recounting this in 2 Timothy, as Jambres and Janus are the names of the magicians. And so they throw down their staffs as well, and their staffs become serpents. But the key here is that Aaron's staff eats the other serpents. So it, they, he consumes them. And it's just a total harbinger of what's to come as God is denouncing the gods of Egypt. All these plagues are just God pointing to false gods and saying, they are nothing compared to me. I'm going to tear them down so you can know that I am God. So what happens with the first plague? The first plague is that the Nile is turned to blood. Uh, it's in a category we call an irritation plague. Uh, what that means is that the, the first three plagues are all in the same category, the next three plagues are all in the same category, and the next three plagues are all in the same category. So these first three, this first one in particular, is considered an irritation. And what happens is that Moses and Aaron meet Pharaoh on the Nile. Uh, we'll see a pattern with how that goes as well. But the Nile in ancient Egypt, you have to think of the Nile as actually being the kingdom of Egypt. Like everything that Egypt had was centered around the Nile. We think of Egypt as like a, a big country these days, lots of, lots of desert. And there was still plenty of desert back in those days. But the kingdom itself and where all the people lived was right along the Nile. It had great commerce and trade because you could trade up and down the river. It was super fertile. It had very regular flooding and then receding of the waters, which made great farmland. It was protected on either side by a giant desert. So if an army was coming, they'd have to cross a desert before they got there. So the kingdom of Egypt was the Nile. And so what happens is that Moses goes to Pharaoh and uh, he tells Pharaoh to let my people worship, and that he hasn't listened yet. And because of this, he says, by this, the Lord's saying this, by this, you will know that I am the Lord. So this is the message that Moses gives to Pharaoh. And what that's really saying is that these plagues, these first few, are going to introduce you to who Yahweh is, that he is the Lord. And so what happens is Aaron stretches out a staff over the Nile, 
And it says the Nile is turned to blood. Not just the Nile, but the Nile, all of its tributaries and canals, all the water in pots or in troughs, all over the land of Egypt is turned to blood. The result of this is that you can't drink the water. It's, it's nasty. It's fouled. All the fish in the Nile end up dying. Uh, the Bible says that it stunk and smelled terrible. That word stunk is the same word that Austin mentioned uh, last week or two weeks ago when uh, the people of Israel came to Moses and said, you've made us stink to Pharaoh by asking to us to be able to leave. So that's a, a definite thing that Pharaoh would be like, oh, this is what things really stink like. And so what, what happens is with this, Pharaoh's magicians see this, this miracle and they say, oh, we can do that too. And so they, they get some water and the Bible says that if you dug along the bank of the Nile, you get fresh water. That's where that came from. So they get some fresh water and then they ruin that water too by turning it into blood which that's just what sin is. The real miracle, if they were going to do something that showed their God's power, would be to turn the blood back into water so you could drink it. But they can't do that. You cannot undo the works of God. You just can't. So what they end up doing is they take the little water they have left and they ruin that too, <laughs> which is a terrible decision, but it's what they decide to do. Um, you may hear some people, there's, there's a, a theory out there that the first six plagues follow an order of natural disasters. And this, this plague could be considered that it was a, a red algae or red silt from the south had flowed down the Nile to ruin it. Either way, it, it, that could be what God used, natural means. That's fine. But it happens when Aaron raises his staff. And it's not just the Nile. It's all throughout the whole kingdom. And so with this, we, we just need to look and say, man, God is sovereign over this. The gods that were directly affected by this plague would be Happy, who was the god of the Nile. The Nile itself was considered a god. And then he brought life to all of Egypt. But now the Nile is just filled with death and you can't have anything in it that lives. Uh, the other thing that is uh, torn down is Osiris who Osiris, it was considered that his bloodstream was the Nile. So this is something that would be very, very in context for the Egyptians. Uh, one other thing that is important to remember is that when Pharaoh said to kill the Israelite young men, he told them to throw those babies into the Nile. And so this is like their blood crying out and coming back to haunt Pharaoh as he goes. This is one of the few plagues that also uh, happens in the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen was where the Israelites lived. Uh, it's where they settled, and it was the best part of the Nile. Uh, it had extra, like, small uh, rivers that would go through it, tributaries, things like that. And so the flooding was even better, better grasslands, better farmlands, all that. That's where the Israelites lived. And this hit them as well as Egypt. And I think that a big part of that is that at this point in time, the Israelites identified basically as Egyptians. They, they'd lived there for hundreds of years, and it just become a part of them. And the Nile was super important to them. It had become an idol, a god to them. And so God was breaking the Israelites free from that bondage at this point in time. So after the first plague, we get the second plague, and this is the plague of frogs. Again, this is an irritation, but this one happens instead of at the Nile, it happens in the palace uh, in front of Pharaoh. And it happens with the same idea of let my people go. If you don't, this will happen. And what it says is that Aaron, again, stuck his staff out over the, the waters of the Nile and that frogs came up 
everywhere. The Bible says that they were in their beds, their ovens, in the palace, in the places where they made food. And uh, it's, it's something that seems like really weird, like when you think about it, where it's like, frogs. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a weird one to move to. But what you have to understand is that frogs were sacred in Egyptian culture. Specifically, the goddess Hecate, or, or Hecht, was worshipped, and she was the god of fertility. And so this idea where the Bible says these frogs were everywhere and coming out of the Nile and getting into your beds, that was a literal, like, actual happening of what the Egyptians would do to invite this goddess into their bedroom to bless their fertility. So this is God, like, just smacking them down and just showing them how messed up this is. And so what ends up happening is that Pharaoh, he summons Moses and Aaron, and he, uh, this is where he asks them to pray to take away the frogs. So he's starting to acknowledge that, okay, you have a God that has some power. Can you pray to take this away? And so Moses, he tells Pharaoh, sure, you pick the time so that you know that my God is the one that did this. And so Pharaoh says, do, have, it, have them go away tomorrow. And Moses says, okay, we'll, we will do that. And he prays, but instead of the frogs returning to the Nile, they all die. And the Bible says there were so many frogs, and at this point, dead frogs, that the Egyptians had to scoop them up in piles. And so there's just piles and piles of dead frogs all throughout the land of Egypt. One, one thing I want to warn you about, this week is gross, and there's a lot of really gross stuff. <laughs> but what I want to drive home is that demonic worship and idol worship is even grosser. And so while this seems gross, demonic stuff is way, way worse. So with this, uh, there are now dead frogs everywhere, which, which Pharaoh would have been just appalled at because frogs were very sacred in their culture and he would have wanted them just to return to the Nile. Uh, we do see that the magicians are able to replicate this miracle as well, which everyone knows the cure for frogs is more frogs. No, that's not true at all. But they are able to summon more frogs, but they cannot get rid of them or have them return to the Nile. Uh, this miracle also happens in the land of Goshen. And for this one, it's definitely an idol the Israelites have of fertility. Remember when the Pharaoh had declared to kill the children of Israel? It was because they were too numerous. Their fertility was too great. The promise for Abraham is that I'll make your descendants like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. This is a promise of God that the people of Israel have turned into an idol. And so he's breaking them of that. So in Goshen, in the Israelites' land, there were also tons and tons of frogs. So the next plague that we reach is the plague of gnats. But in doing some research, uh, that word isn't quite right. The better word to translate this is probably lice, a plague of lice. Again, this is the final one of irritation, but this one, instead of having a showdown with Pharaoh, uh, this one comes without warning. It, the Bible says that Aaron struck the earth and that the dust of the earth, earth rose up and became lice over all the land. Uh, lice are terrible. They're really awful. Um, they get in everything, on everything. It says it was on men and beasts. So just imagine having lice that you can't get rid of, like no matter what you do. Uh, one, one really clear point of that you can't get rid of these lice is that the magicians that Pharaoh had, they were unable to replicate this miracle. And they say, this is the finger of God. And the reason they say that is because Egyptian uh, magicians and 
acolytes and priests, they shaved their bodies as part of their worship. And so they were clean shaven, and yet they still got lice. And so they say, this is the finger of God. We're out. We can't compete with this. Uh, what happens is the God that's affected is Geb. Geb was the God of the earth, and the, where it says that the dust of the earth became this plague is something that the Israelites would have taken definite notice of. Uh, the other one is Hathor, the goddess of beauty. Because you can look your best, you can be looking great, but if you find out you've got lice, you don't feel so pretty anymore. You really, really, really don't. Uh, this is the last of the plagues that happened in the land of Goshen with those Israelites. And I think the main reason for that is, again, the Israelites really were Egyptian at this time uh, in their minds and hearts. And we see in, when the law is given that God gave a lot of attention to, you're not going to dress this way. You're gonna, not going to cut your hair this way. You're not going to do the things you used to do because I'm calling you out to be my own people. And so this is something that the, the Israelites needed to be broken free from, that this is not your culture. You are not their people. You are my people. So, after the gnats, we get done with the irritations, and we move into what are called the destruction plagues. Uh, so plague number four is a swarm of flies. Uh, the Bible uses the word swarms. Uh, you may have heard some people talk about a the plague of wild animals. Uh, where that would come from is here. The word swarm is just swarm. Uh, and so they say it could be a swarm of bats, could be a swarm of beasts, whatever. Uh, doing my research, flies definitely fits best here. So it, it was a plague of flies. This one happens, again, back at the Nile. You'll, we'll see a pattern where it goes, Nile, palace, no warning. And so this one starts at the Nile. It has Moses going to say, let my people go. If you don't, this is going to happen. And this one comes under a banner that God says, where he says, these are going to happen that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth or in this land. So this is where God is ramping it up. He's not just saying, yes, I am a God. He's saying, no, I'm a, I'm a God in this land and over all lands. I'm over all things. I'm here and I've always been here and I'm everywhere you'll go. So the way that this one happens is a few of the others were like Aaron stretching out the staff. This one just kind of happens without warning. Well, not without warning, but God just does it. Uh, where Moses presents this to Pharaoh, he says, it's, it's going to come tomorrow. And so there's a little bit of anticipation here where they're like, oh man, these, these plagues have happened before. Uh, I think this one's coming. And so there's like anticipation and a bit of buildup uh, before this hits. And what happens is exactly what God says. Flies are everywhere. They cover all the things from the palace to the commoners. They're just all over the land. And think about this. Flies, some of them bite. Some of them lay eggs on things. Uh, all flies have external digestion, which means in order to eat something, they have to vomit acid onto it and then suck it up. So when you've got thousands of flies on everything, they're just ruining things. Like your food, all that kind of stuff. They are everywhere on everything. So with all these flies, Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron, and he's like, okay, you can sacrifice. I'm, I'm going to give in. He's starting to compromise. He's starting to bargain with them. And he says, you can sacrifice, but you have to do it here. You can't go anywhere. And Moses just says, no, that's not going to work. Your own people would kill us if we did that. Our God is an abomination to your gods. You could, your people couldn't handle that. Not only that, but that's not what God has said. And so Pharaoh says, oh, okay, 
okay, you can go just not very far. Now you pray for me. Pray to get rid of this. And Moses says, all right, I will pray and tomorrow the flies will leave. But don't lie. Don't, don't renege on this. You keep your word. And so what happens is Moses prays, the flies leave, and Pharaoh breaks his word. He does not let the people go. His heart continues to be hard. Uh, the, the gods that were affected, uh, Kepri was an insect god who had the head of a beetle. Uh, he's kind of a weird one. They say that he was like a dung beetle and would roll the sun across the sky like a piece of dung, which is great imagery. If you need a, a poem thing for your, your loved one, that's a great thing to think about. Uh, but, but the other one is Satan himself is being denounced here. And while they didn't have Satan worshipers, when you're worshiping a false god, you're worshiping a demonic force. And the name for Satan in the Bible all throughout it is Beelzebub. And Beelzebub means the Lord of the flies. So this is a, a, a direct smack in Satan's face. Uh, the magicians definitely could not uh, replicate this. And Moses told Pharaoh that this will not happen in the land of Goshen. And true to God's word, this is where the plagues stop happening to the Israelites. There's a clear distinction between them and the Egyptians. So after this, we get the fifth plague. And this is also under destruction. And this is the livestock dying. This one happens again back at the palace. So we've moved from Nile back to the palace. And uh, this one happens, says, let my people go. But if you continue to refuse... Uh, this will happen. And this one, again, there's no use of the staff or anything like that. It's something that God does. He just does it. Remember back in uh, the third plague, the one with the lice, where the, the magician said, this is the finger of God. At this point in time, God says to Pharaoh, this will be the hand of God. So you can see that God is taking Pharaoh's own words and ramping it up, saying, that was my finger this is my hand. It's going to get worse. And what happens is that all the horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats that were out in the field die. They just keel over and die. We know that it couldn't have been every single animal, even stable to not, because we see animals further on that get affected by other plagues. And the Bible does specifically say, in the field will die. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, the gods that were affected, so many gods in Egypt either were depicted as part cow, fully cow, had cattle in their worship, all sorts of things. Ta, Hathor, Nevis, Ra, Apis, Amon, all had huge ties to cows. Uh, we mentioned Hathor before as the goddess of beauty. She was half cow, which that's a stupid thing to think of as beautiful, but it's what they went with. Uh, but this does become even more poignant when you think how when the Israelites fell, when Moses is getting the law, what did they create? A golden calf. Cows were paramount in Egyptian worship, and that would be something that they knew to worship. Again, it's not dedicated. And this one also didn't happen in the land of Goshen. The Bible says that Pharaoh sent people to spy it out and check it out. And make sure, did their cows die? And, not, and the Bible says not a single one did. And Pharaoh definitely knows it at this point. So the last plague in the destruction ones is the plague of boils. Uh, this one happens in the presence of Pharaoh, but there's no showdown, no, no dialogue really. The Bible says that Moses and Aaron got handfuls of soot from a furnace or a kiln. The, the word there is the same one used for what they would make the bricks out of. So you remember back a few chapters before where the Israelites were forced to make bricks. This soot came from those same kilns. 
So Pharaoh would see that and know, oh, this is the stuff that I forced you to do in your enslavement. And it says that Moses and Aaron go with him and that Moses throws up the soot into the air and it goes out and it settles on the Egyptian skin and they break out in boils. Uh, the language for these boils are that they're super painful and that they're pus filled. Uh, one natural uh, thought of how this worked is that after the flies covered the Egyptians, they probably bit them or like, plagued, like gave them diseases that, were, that they broke out in these boils. Uh, it could have been bot flies, which are flies that lay eggs on your skin. The maggots burrow into your skin and later erupt in pus and then a little maggot crawls out. Super gross. Yes, exactly. But that's what you get when you worship the devil. So uh, with this, there, since there's no showdown, we, we don't see any uh, conversation between Pharaoh and Moses this, but the gods that were affected, uh, the first one is Heka, which was the god of magic. And the reason he's important is the Bible says that Pharaoh's magicians, the ones who directly worshiped the god of magic, had the boils so badly that they could not even appear before Pharaoh. The people who got it worst were the ones whose god should have been able to save them. Uh, the other one is also Sekhmet, the goddess of healing, and she could not do anything to ease the Egyptians' plight. So now we move into the final set of three plagues, and these are the plagues of death. Uh, the, this one, the first one of these three, plague seven, is hail. Uh, this happens back at the Nile. So we see that same pattern for the, the plagues. And uh, what happens is God says, let my people go or I will send the full force of my plagues upon you. And why does he do this? God says, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. God is setting himself apart from any other God you might have. He's saying, I am way above them. I'm so far above them. None of them have anything compared to me. He also says that he could have just wiped Egypt out, killed them all if he wanted to, but he decided not to, to show his own glory and his power so that everyone, even those outside of Egypt, would know that he is God. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells them that the worst hailstorm Egypt has ever seen is coming, and that if you don't get inside, everything left out in the fields is going to die, both person and animal. Uh, the Bible specifically says that some of Pharaoh's officials who were there for this proclamation were like, yeah, I'm going to listen to that guy. And they brought their slaves and animals inside out of the hail to protect themselves. Uh, what happens as a result is that hail and lightning come and they just destroy everything. The Bible says uh, the word could be lightning or fire fell from the sky. So some people think it was lightning bolts which a lightning bolt has about the same destructive power as a hand grenade and just tons of those going off and giant pieces of hail or it's actual balls of fire coming from the upper atmosphere like a meteor shower and just destroying things. Uh, we're pretty familiar with hail here in Colorado. Um, we get it quite often and we know that it strips trees bare. It destroys stocks of corn if it gets big enough. Like it will just wreak havoc. And so these Egyptians having gotten this warning they, they are, if they're inside, they're listening to this hail pounding and just destroying their livelihoods. The Bible also describes the thunder as just being this psychological thing that all these Egyptians would be dealing with as they're just listening to everything outside being destroyed. So after the, this comes, Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron, and this time he confesses that, man, 
I've sinned. He, he declares the Lord is right and that he and his people are wrong. And uh, what, he, what he does is he says, please, please pray for me. And he tells them that, all right, you, you can go. You can go. This flag is so bad, you can leave at this point. And Moses says, no, I will pray and this will stop. But you're a liar because you are not going to follow through on your word. And that's exactly what happens. Pharaoh's heart is so hard at this point that he doesn't mind straight up lying to Moses. Uh, the God that was affected, or the gods, the first one is Nut, who was the sky goddess, and she was kind of one that was an umbrella over everything. The, the sky covers everything, and now she has been brought low with this. Also, Is Isis and Set were agricultural gods, and says that the crops were all ruined. Uh, there's just a bunch of things in this that were just brought low by God. So this moves us into the next plague, which is plague number eight. This is a plague of locusts. Again, this is death, and this happens back at the palace and clearly in front of Pharaoh's officials. Uh, what happens is Moses tells Pharaoh, tomorrow, locusts will come and eat what's left after the hail. They will cover everything. You won't even be able to see the ground. This is going to eat every single green thing that's left. And so after they deliver that message, Moses and Aaron leave, and Pharaoh's officials are like, Listen to them, please. Can you not see? Egypt is ruined. We have not, like, we are completely destroyed. Just listen to them. Let them go. We can't take any more of this. So Pharaoh calls them back, Moses and Aaron, and says, so who's going to go? Tell me specifically who's going to go. And Moses says, everyone, our young, our old, even our flocks need to go for this festival. Literally, he says, no one will be left behind. And Pharaoh says, the Lord be with you, but not in like a, the Lord be with you, but in like a blasphemous, oh, the Lord be with you. That's not going to happen. He says, the women and children, they're not going, and he just kicks them out. And so what happens is Moses stretches out his staff over, his, or over Egypt, and it says the wind blew, and the next morning it blew in the locusts. Now, locusts are still to this day massively, massively destructive. They eat everything green in their path. Uh, they can last up to 13 years as they just move from green place to green place, just wiping things out. They lead to famines still to this day. So they come and they do this and they eat all the fruit, all the leaves, all the grass, all of it, and just take it all away. And so Pharaoh freaks out. And he calls Moses and Aaron and he confesses again and says, oh, I, we, we have done terrible things. Please, please, please pray for me. Take this deadly plague away. He knows this will kill all of his people. And so Moses at this point says nothing. He just leaves and he prays and the wind blows again and blows the locusts out. The God that was affected for this one, Geb, was the God of the earth. We mentioned him before, but for this one, remember how I talked about the Nile being Egypt. It was actually a very fertile area. It's very, very green and lush along the Nile. And Geb, being the god of the earth, would be depicted as being green and full of life and lush. And what this did is this is God saying, I'm going to eat the skin off of your god of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. There's nothing green left after the plague of locusts. So the final plague we're going to talk about today and the last one in the death category is the plague of darkness. This one happens again unannounced. What happens is Moses stretches up his hand to the sky and a darkness that can be felt descends upon 
Egypt. It says that it was so dark that people couldn't see each other. They wouldn't leave their homes. This is such an oppressive darkness. Uh, people think that this is probably some sort of combination of an eclipse mixed with an unbelievably massive sandstorm that is just blotting out all light. But I think for this one especially, there is an absolutely spiritual context to this, where this is showing darkness and what demonic worship actually is. It's so different from the light of God. And we see that in the land of Goshen, there was still light. Because in God, God is the father of lights. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In God, there is no darkness. So this is a clear distinction where he's, God is just saying, my people are separate from this evil demonic worship. So Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron and tells them to go. And this time he says, you can bring all your people. Just leave your flocks behind. And Moses, he says, no, no, we have to have sacrifices. Some translations say that Moses says, no, you will provide us sacrifices. But uh, he also does a very interesting play of words here where he's talking about this. He, you know, he said, no person will be left behind, no one. Moses uses a play on word and says, no hoof will be left behind at this point. And so Pharaoh, he gets mad. He throws a fit and he kicks them out and he tells them, get out of my sight. If I see you again, I'll kill you. And Moses says, you're right. I won't be coming back to ask you for anything. When I come back next time, you're going to be asking me. You'll be bargaining with me. And that's exactly what we see happening. The God who was affected here, there's a, there was a whole bunch of sun and moon gods uh, in Egyptian theology, but Ra was the main one. He was the God of the sun. He was the king of all the gods. Many of the gods were created from him. He was the sustainer of, of life. I mean, he was the main God. And so this is one where it just shows that God's like, no, your king of all gods is nothing compared to me. And so he was the one, the last one to be cast down. So I guess the question with all this is, okay, what, what do these all have in common? What does this mean for me? And the common denominator in all these plagues is the call to repent. It's the same call that Jesus is giving. He's saying, turn away from your demonic worship, from your idols, from these things you have set up in your life. Repent, turn away, and come to me. We see consequences lived out in massive ways here. And that's just the way it is with sin and the demonic. That when we do evil, th evil things, there are consequences. Sometimes God is doing things to help us learn quickly, don't do that. I think for my children, if they do something that I'm like, that's going to kill you. Like they run out into the street, I will grab them, bring them back, give them a swat and say, do not do that. That's going to kill you really quickly if you keep doing that. Other things, though, when you stick your hand on a hot stove and get burned, are you being punished because you did that? Or is that just the natural consequence of how the world works? That's right. Good job. Natural consequence is correct. And so God is showing these people, do not mess around with sin and idol worship and the demonic. And I think it's easy to say, well, what do those gods have to do with me? Like, I don't worship. I didn't know almost every god you named I'd never even heard of. That's not even a, a thing to me. But the reality is all of these gods are something we still worship in some way, shape, or form today. The Nile is something that is consistent and reliable in your life that you've just put your trust in. The frogs represent fertility. 
your family, having a family, a bigger family, having children, not having children. Lice is vanity. With Facebook and all that, you hear like taking thousands of pictures just to get that one screenshot where you look perfect and super cute. Or you have a sweet mustache. <laughs> Flies are the beginning of bargaining where you decide, I'll listen to God, but only a little bit. I'll do, I'll do half of that for you, God. Livestock, putting your faith in property, in your house, in your car, in that cool thing that you have that you just really love. Boils, putting your trust in your health. Uh, COVID, I think, has brought this one to the forefront where health has become an absolute idol to so many people. Hail is the trust in the economy or your job, that that's something that you believe and trust in. Locusts are an idea of worshiping the earth and trusting in Mother Nature and, man, I love this planet and it's, it's my God and I'm going to treat it as such. And then darkness, darkness is the catch-all. If you think, oh, I didn't have any of those others, phew, I'm off the hook. Ra was the god over all the other gods of Egypt, and there were hundreds of them. So anything in your life that you've put above God as an idol is caught up in that one. But with Jesus, he takes all of our idols, he, he takes them, destroys them, and replaces them with himself. Jesus fulfills all of our needs, all of our wants, all of our desires. He is the one who can actually do what all these false gods are claiming and promising to do. We sang this morning, Jesus over everything. And that is the truth of it. He is over all things. All things were created through him and for him. And he's in control of all of them. When we put our trust in him, we no longer have to worship any false idols of this world, but we get to worship the one true God. So if you'll join me in prayer, we're going to close out this morning. Lord God, I just thank you so much that you are a good, good God. Lord, we thank you that you do not want us to live in death. You do not want us to live under false idols and destruction and just the awful things that sin brings, but that you have made a way to find new life and to find life abundant, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you want to take the false gods in our hearts and our lives, throw them out and replace them with your truth and your glory, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal in our hearts whatever we've set up as an idol that is taking the place of you, Lord. Lord, let us see that. And Lord, give us the courage and the understanding to get rid of that, whatever it may be, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are good and you are great. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Now, a lot of you who know a bit about the story are like, you missed the most important plague of them all, which is true. The 10th the plague, uh, the death of the firstborn, we will be covering, but it's so important that we're going to give it its own week. So Austin will be talking about that and Passover uh, next week. Uh, with that, we normally have communion on the second Sunday of the month. Some of you are like, wait, what? I just knew that happened. Right. Yes, the second Sunday is normally communion, but we're actually moving that to next week too because uh, Passover, communion are so intertwined that they work so well together. So that is coming next week. Uh, we hope to see you then. Have a blessed week. Take care.